RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me, as usual, is Mike. Hello. And we have an under-the-weather Brian. Brian has been fighting off a cold and some coughing, so if his voice sounds a little thick, you know why, but thanks for joining us, even though you're under the weather, Brian. Thank you. I've been sick since July. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you know, joking. It's pretty accurate. I'm yeah. not joking. Since July 5th, I can tell you the day I got sick. Weirdest thing. I've been sick for about six and a half years. What's the correlation? Huh. <laughs> no, it gets better. It gets better. Once they adapt to all the school germs around them, it gets a lot better. All right. Today, we're talking about a game that we called Guards, Guards. You know, as if you're calling the guards. Um, I decided to uh, let you guys play City Guards. And all four of you, so Chris, Nathan, Brian, and Mike, played this game. And you were all promoted within the City Guard. You were singled out as particularly effective guards. I didn't say how in the setup. And then you were tasked with just reducing overall crime in Fallcrest. We'd been playing our games in and around Fallcrest for so long that, as far as Captain Nathan Faringray was concerned, things were getting a little out of hand, and he wanted some guards to uh, to try to bring things to heal. So, quick impressions, guys. Let, let's give our numeric ratings. And actually, if you don't mind, I'll go first. I, I, sometimes I forget to rate the games myself. I rated this game a 7. So... I think it had solid potential. I loved the guard concept. I mean, of course I did. I came up with it and proposed it and executed it. But I really loved the idea of being guards and tackling crime um, in more of an authoritarian way and letting you guys be the authority as opposed to having to deal with the authority. I think the prep that I did was focused and good and, and used. I think our execution was pretty good. The only thing that dragged it down to a seven um, were some were some weird party decisions, and we'll we'll get into that later. Brian, what's your numeric score, and what are your thoughts? Well, so I haven't thought about the game in a couple of years, so it's not fresh on my mind. So, like all of the things that you talked about that you thought was quirky, sort of faded away. So for me, what I remember are the high points. So I mean, I'm giving it a solid eight. Um, it was. It was cathartic. Like you said, we, we were the authority and we abused that a little bit. Not like in a in a like a terrible, like unethical way. It may be, maybe slightly unethical. But it, it was it was it was a chance to sort of uh cut loose a little bit and we can still RP, but we don't have to be as uh clean and neat as we sometimes are, you know, trying to be good mercenaries and adventurers in, in Fallcrest. Yeah, I was really eager to see if you guys were going to be like good guards or kind of crooked no. guards or were you going to, you know, reduce crime rate by helping some criminals and harming others and kind of going along to get along with criminals or were you going to – I was so eager to see what you guys were going to do. We were like Mayor Giuliani, you know, like sort of late 90s guards, sort of what we were. Tough on crime? Yeah. Mike, how about you? What's your number and thoughts? I think I'm probably going to have to give this one a six just because, I, I don't know, I, I think kind of when I was in my headspace for this one, 
I was like, oh, we get to be a guards. I can do my usual, you know, oh, I'm going to bust everything down and, you know, do investigation and cop and things like that. And, and it didn't phase out, right? We, we totally went in the opposite direction with that, um, which isn't a fault of the game. But I think, I think when the entire party is a person of authority, I think we get into steamroller mode. So I think giving us a party of authority figures maybe isn't the best idea for our group of players. For do you, for do one you, shot, though, I thought it was great. For one shot, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a good point too. Do you mean you steamroll each other, or do you mean you steamroll the NPCs? All the above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's like four project managers and no analysts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. How how do I solve it? Do I give you minions? I, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't I don't know if you can solve for that, right? That God, all, all of a sudden I'm having like ideas for board games. Like like how do you make a board game about running the town guard in a city full of adventurers where the adventurers cause Jesus just as many problems as the monsters do? How do you keep law and order when you've got Link breaking every clay pot he can find and you've also got goblins raiding? That that sounds like uh, Kingdom Come by Mark Wade. If you if you ever if you never read that, I mean, it's kind of what it is. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. I have not even heard of it. Really? Right, cool. Wow. Oh yeah, I haven't. Uh, it was one of the most popular comics of the late nineties. While we're talking inspiration, I should say that the Guards Guards title, of course, came from Terry Pratchett's book Guards Guards, um, which focuses on the guards in a in a medieval fantasy town um and that's a bunch of slapstick humor so i didn't go for the humor but i loved the guards concept so the setup before this game i sent you guys not a lengthy email but if you printed it it would be probably a page and a quarter um with a lot of detail around you know what's the concept of the game what town are you in what's the current word on the street um and and then i gave you a fairly lengthy write-up on I used to love doing this, where I give you kind of the the rails for how to build your character. You know, what level you could make your character, you know, any notes I had on classes and races, um, how I wanted you to generate your ability scores, how much equipment I wanted you to have, and how many magic items I would allow at character creation. I loved doing that. Uh, And then a little bit about the game itself. Honest question. Before the game, did you guys read the email? Um, I, I probably, well, no, I did. Cause, cause yeah, I would have, I made my own character for this game. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I selected a pre-gen. So I would have read the email enough to get the requirements for creating the character. So I go back, this was in my slightly lazier days is, um, cause this was before we started the podcast and I think I really became a better player like in Pathfinder, honestly, when we were going through that campaign. So at this point, I know that I would have read the email, but oftentimes when there's other homework, I didn't necessarily always do that. But if it was just an email, yeah, I did that. I did that much. I'm certain. Well, you made, so, you made your character for this one too, right? Um, I don't know if I did a pre-gen or not. I, I, I had the character's name. Um, gosh, actually, when we were talking about this before, Dusty was going through... Uh, some character stuff and I thought actually half thought that he might have done a pre-gen and I just selected that no you didn't okay well okay 
Now, before this, Brian, I would have sent you that that file that Wizards put out that had all the all the beginner box. Well, they didn't call it the beginner box. The 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 beginner whatever it was, um, the fifth edition box set that was the starter set. Uh, that included a bunch of characters, and Wizards put those PDFs up on their site for free. I would have sent you guys those, so you may have used one of those. I might have selected one and leveled up. Or actually, don't they have? They actually had those stratified by level, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Wizards put out the zip file that had, you know, level one, level three, level five, whatever it was. They had a bunch of different levels of the same NPCs. Yeah, I, I probably selected that. Or pregens. Okay. Um, did these emails help in general when I sent them? When I gave you, so Mike, if you rolled your own character, when I gave you these bounds, was this helpful or was it annoying? No, I definitely said that was helpful because you know, kind of creating your own character from the beginning can be a little challenging doing it on your own and then also you know leveling it up with some of the some of the boundaries you had would have been you know interesting as well so so i remember one of the things we had is like you know your your person needs to be able to fit onto the guard you know you might not be a mentor a minotaur mentor uh you know you, you might not be a minotaur on the I, captain guard or... i'm certain there's some minotaurs that mentor other guards <laughs> the mentor minotaur or minotaur mentor either way yeah um, when, when but, minotaurs mentor their mentees okay. about yeah is, is, men, is mentee the, the, the appropriate real word because i hate that word you know it frequently gets used and i think every other word is almost pejorative student i mean yeah. that, that implies a level of of it implies a relationship that frankly doesn't exist. So I think mentee is probably as good as you're going to get. I hate that word. Mentee. Follower. I mean, there's nothing, there's everything to replace it sounds worse. Acolyte. Well, I like that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't disallow the Minotaur, right? What I literally said yeah. was uh, if you have, have a, a Minotaur, backstory. Yeah, yeah. You better have a good backstory. Yeah. And right, that so, that I absolutely did not do, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to keep this as simple as possible. My guy is named Stanley. He's and on that's, the town guard. Yes, it was Stanley the town guard. Stanley the the as Mike often plays, Stanley the grizzled cop, the the beat cop. Yeah. So that's that emails before the game. You roll your character. You show up, and the hook I gave you was, all right, Nathan Faringray has brought you junior guards together as a special task force. And I was thinking of like, you know, the strike team in the shield or, you know, SVU in Law and Order or the Untouchables um, in the FBI. So I, I'm thinking, just like at work, when you have these cross-functional projects of experts, I'm bringing together this entire team of experts who are going to solve the crime problem in Fallcrest. You'd have all the resources of the town guard, which would be lots and lots of mundane resources and some limited manpower, but fairly limited magic, fairly limited wealth. So, you know, you have a project budget. And then I was going to turn you guys loose and let you tackle crime in town. Um, how is this as a setup? And let me start off with, did you buy it? Did you buy that Nathan Faring Ray might resort to pulling together a cross-functional project team to tackle this issue? I think at the time I probably thought of it more as, uh, I, I don't want to say mercenaries because we were official towns guardsmen, but 
but that that he was you know kind of reaching the bottom of the barrel and and there was a crisis in town and he had to go to extreme measures for for you know extreme crises so i i definitely bought into that i mean if you kind of think about it in in modern terms you have your your specialist squads and the police force you have your swat teams you have your drug enforcement teams and stuff like that so i thought it was very believable uh i think it's a little contrived but i'm okay with that and mostly that's because even though he doesn't exist i've kind of built up this hero worship thing for nathan fairing and i i don't think that he would the team that we ended up being, I don't think that he would have assembled us. No, S- I, absolutely. Is Nathan Faringray your favorite NPC? Yes. Uh, yeah. That's fair. Second second only to uh, Elsora Gandithus. Uh, you know, um, I yeah, I like Elsora quite a bit, but uh, yeah, that's probably fair. With Elsora and Nathan, Brian, do we have a thing with you and father figure NPCs? Yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, I had a pretty crummy father, so it's not totally believable. Huh. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how else to touch that. I was I was not going to delve deeper on that one. Certainly and it not. It gets a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> not on the show. We will pick that up next time we have lunch together. And, and we are not recording in front of hundreds or dozens of people. Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> um, did the setup make you guys want to work together? I think group cohesion, it's funny, man. We've been playing together for years, but I still read those horror stories about the players are like, wait a minute, why would I work with him? Pointing at another player. I think sometimes we can be guilty of that. Did this setup make you want to work together? Or Mike, is this your steamroller moment? I think this is my steamroller moment, right? I, I'm i pretty sure I wanted to approach this, you know, like, uh, like, like Gumshoe, you know, Columbo, Beat Cop, Investigation, Buy the Books, Just the Facts, Ma'am. And everybody else wanted to be, you know, like, beat everyone into submission. Murder hobos. Authority, murder hobos, once again. And uh, I, I think that probably did drag me down a little bit because, you know, this was this is my time to shine. And, and, you know, I get to really actually be a cop with the authority to, to do the cop things that I sometimes lean towards in my game anyway. And I, I think I felt a little bit dragged down by that. So... It didn't necessarily make you want to work together because you felt like you weren't on the same page. So maybe, and we've had this issue before. In fact, honestly, in the last game that we played, you know, we recently talked about our our, our brief World of Dungeons game where we played Frozen, where working together and being cohesive about what you're trying to accomplish was an issue when you were dealing with those young men in that tavern. Because Nathan was going one way and Chris was going an entirely different way. So maybe there's something here about taking a metagame moment to get aligned about what you're trying to do. So so bring in a little bit of that table talk to to figure out what the party wants to do. But then how do you how do you you know how do you how do you balance that, right? Because if you're if you're trying to play it to real life, you can't take that tabletop moment in real life to, you know, pull the aside together and be like, oh hey, let's let's huddle in a corner and whisper out about these guys. I'll tell you what I was what I was hoping for. Honestly, I was hoping for this to be a mini, you know, three to five session campaign where I've presented you I've assembled this tiger team. I've given you this problem of the crime rate in Fallcrest. I would have loved you guys to have had almost like a strategy meeting or, or you know, hey, let's get together with goals and objectives and come up with what was your strategy gonna be? How were you actually gonna tackle 
the medieval crime rate. Wait, you expected us to come up with a plan for a game and execute that plan? I totally did. I was really looking forward <laughs> to seeing your approach to this. You know we're, we're not that good. <laughs> so, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, you know, if, if, if you present a problem to us, we're, we're just going to bash our heads against it until the problem goes away or we die. So I could have maybe stood up what I was hoping for a little more clearly, but I'm reluctant to do that a lot of the times because I don't want to push you to play my way. I, I was thinking of this really cerebral game around, you know, crime rate and statistics and, you know, the 80, 20 rule about where should you put your effort versus not? And what's going to be the most impactful. I was thinking of this really cerebral game. And if I would have told you that's what, that was my expectation, I would have worried that wouldn't have been your kind of fun. And for me, the fun is how do you approach this problem? All right, we'll, we'll move on from that. Would this hook work today? Would, would it make you want to work together? Would you be interested in this game? Or have have I gotten better at making hooks a little less, to, to borrow your word, Brian, contrived? I think, I mean, I think you've gotten better um, at that. And I don't, th- I mean, I think this was a perfectly good hook, except considering the the, the person who that we were working for. But I mean... <clears throat> I think if I was in the right mindset, I would have been more willing to accept that uh, Nathan would have Nathan Faringer would have pulled this together. Uh, but yeah, I think this would work now. In fact, th- this idea of the gritty crime drama—I mean, I've been having to uh, put a lot of thought, deep thought lately into you know what's uh, what's best uh, and making tough trade-off decisions. And I think it might be fun to to try to do that. I mean, sometimes grappling with uh, i mean in work uh you know in training oftentimes we do role play um to help think through you know tough problems and i think it'd be perfectly uh reasonable to uh to have that kind of game um as you know if you if you'd propose that at at this time though i think the players that we were at the maturity level we were uh murder hobos was about as far as we could go but I think we've tackled a lot of challenging thoughts and ideas um, and, and, and themes, you know, since then. I think, uh, I think if we did this again, uh, it would be less about blowing off steam, maybe, and probably more about, you know, just trying to, to, to feel out the characters and, and, and create something kind of engaging. Yeah, this was a time in our gaming careers when I felt like any delay between pointing you at the things you were supposed to kill drove honestly frustration sometimes i think if we played this hook again today i would be the very buttoned down laced up beat cop chris and nathan would be crooked cops and brian would be stuck in the middle trying to figure out an interesting character and it'd be just as big a train wreck yeah yeah i think so too i think this was a lot to ask i think i was hoping for the cerebral thought and you know fun and simulationist type thing and you know scenarios sort of like think tank type how do you tackle this problem and and we just weren't ready for that and i don't know that we are today and maybe the hook's just too cerebral yeah i definitely agree that we're we're not a simulationist gaming group yeah yeah so the build-up um i gave you the hook we started off you you introduced your characters to each other and then we started to build up and i gave you guys several gangs you can go after 
Um, and I, I tore these right out of the Monsters Vault threats to the Dentier Veil. So, by the way, this was a fifth edition game, but I love that fourth edition lore. I love the Dentier Veil. I love the fourth edition story products. I love the Hammerfast supplement. Um, I, I love so much about fourth edition. So, I loved using the Fallcrest gangs that were in that Monsters Vault threats to the Dentier Veil. So, I, I, I used those gangs in those stories, but then I used. 5th edition monsters. So I gave you several gangs you can go after. Um, you landed on just busting the river rats' heads, going down to the to the wharves, to the docks, where the river rats hung out, and you really quickly landed on, we're just going to go in their favorite bar, and we're going to bust some heads, and you went straight to kind of the shield, the strike team, where you hit first, you hit hard. You know, Cobra Kai, strike, strike first, strike hard no mercy. But you could have picked any strategy, you know, CSI, going after the heads of the gangs, um, but you chose to to become enforcers busting heads. Did you feel pigeonholed into that enforcer mode? No, I mean, I it's where I wanted to go at the time. Uh, I mean, I, I felt, I didn't feel pigeonholed at all. I felt that it was liberating uh, because I, I wanted to play that kind of character because I hadn't played that kind of character. Typically, I would play, I mean, up until this point, I think I was still playing a paladin for the most part. Or, um, you know, like a, a fighter with a just, uh, you know, purpose. It, it felt great to sort of bust some heads. And that's exactly what I wanted and needed at the time. I think it was, you know, going back to that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that was the, the way we were going to roll with it. So we all just rolled with it. So I do want to spend just a moment on prep and how I prepped for this. So to come up. You know, I said I came up with three different factions. I, I borrowed the stories from Threats to the Dentier Veil. I took the monsters from the Monster Manual. That sounds like a lot to organize. I want to give a shout-out to um, this Dungeons & Dragons Combat Tracker worksheet. Um, Brian, I found a link for it that I'll ask you to put in the show notes. Uh, the link goes out to a drive-thru RPG, and it's a, it's a pay-what-you-want item and the drive through RPG author links to the original authors on Reddit because the drive through RPG guy um, tweaked it and then you know made it pay what you want and monetized it which we can argue the how good we feel about that but uh, still it's, it's a good link it's a great worksheet and what the worksheet is intended for is laying out a combat encounter there's you know, initiative laid out, uh, 25 through negative 5. So as people are telling you their initiative roles, you can just jot their names in real quick. Um, you can name the combat encounter. There's room to write in the stats for three different monsters. I didn't use these sheets as combat trackers. I used them to build out the factions. I used them to say, okay, here are the lower level um, members of this faction up on top. Here are the next highest up level. And then here are the bosses at the bottom. So I use those three monsters um, or those three spaces for monsters to give each faction sort of a, a staff. Um, I knew who all was in it and I could pull this sheet out and use post-it notes to do nothing but, you know, track how many of the lower level monsters I was using and how many hit points they had left. So really easy for me, Brian, if we could link that, that would be awesome for anyone playing fifth edition. I think we can. Sweet. I've, I know a guy, you know, a guy, you know, a guy that knows how to link stuff. I, I eventually must figure out how to publish this podcast. Uh, we've said it before. I want to say it again on the air. Brian, thank you for the editing and posting and 
the work you do to make the podcast actually appear in people's feeds. Absolutely. Uh, you're welcome. So moving on from the prep, moving on from the setup, um, a lot happened in this game, and I want to cover some of the high points. One of the high points um, – <laughs> so I gave you access to all the resources that guards might reasonably have, you know, including some limited manpower. And you guys picked exactly one newly recruited guard, and you put him undercover in the underworld. And the mission you gave him was, hey, climb the ranks, and we'll come debrief you. And then you guys, the only ones who knew his cover, died. And not to, you know, spoilers ahead, this was a total party kill for us. You guys all died after telling him that his mission as a guard was to climb the ranks of the underworld. Mm. Did, did we agree what happened to him? Uh, we talked about it. I mean, uh, we were... Uh, did we actually encounter him in a game? I knew that we talked about encountering him in another game where he, he was going to be... Uh, basically the leader of the underworld. Actually, great question, Brian. You encountered him in another game. In the Assassin's Creed game? Oh, yes! That's right! I knew I was thinking about that game for some reason. He was the head of the Thieves Guild that gave you and the oh, other no. guy at Mace oh, no. the mission oh, that no. resulted in you killing Nathan Faringray. Oh, no. Wah, wah. So this, So that game, the Assassin's Creed game, is it's in, a continuity, it's in continuity with this game. Yes, it is. And that and this is in continuity with our previous game. Yep. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one world in my head. It's so much easier for me to keep straight. And oh, it's so much... no. I always I always thought of that as a, as a separate universe. Oh, nah, no. man. Yeah, you. if we ever play in Falkrest again, you, you've Nathan Faringway is dead. Oh, How could no. you, Brian? <laughs> he was our favorite NPC. Was it me or the other guy? I think it was me, wasn't it? I can't remember. I that, think man. I think I did it. You both fought him. You both wounded him. I don't know who had the death blow. <sighs> man, the guilt. Now, now, do you feel more guilty about this or more guilty about the the teenage girls in dusk? Honestly, I feel more guilty about this now. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that as we were we we, we packed up. We left the venue where we were playing, and the table talk was this guy that you've talked, okay, your mission is to climb the ranks and we'll come back and debrief you one day. you know. And then you just die, and he doesn't know that you're dead, and he starts out as this low-level guy, and his mission's to move up. So we agreed walking out that probably 10 years hence, he was going to be the lord of all crime and fall crest because still we waiting never came back to relieve him and yep. he's he's still waiting for someone to come debrief him in his heart of hearts he's a guard doing the right thing but by god he's undercover oh, so <laughs> um question this this guard the, this situation that we created this npc that we created who has become the crime lord of fall crest but he's really secretly in his heart of hearts an undercover guard, but no one knows it. Could we ever incorporate him into another game without that meta knowledge? Not, not our current party. No. Yeah. And, no. and what would be the purpose? Yeah. I don't know. I, I love. I don't love the show, the blacklist, but I love the setup. And I, I think of this guy, this NPC, coming in from the cold one day. Like he figures out. Wait a minute those assholes are dead <laughs> and he, he shows up in, in Baron Markle Hayes house 
as the worst crime lord in the city, and all of a sudden he's he's willing to turn in his fellow crime lords. I, I love the notion. I don't know. I don't think we could ever use it. You know, yeah. I I think if there's like a special counsel, and <laughs> oh lord, yeah, <laughs> he, he could he could flip. That would, that would be interesting. Depose him, flip yeah. him, give him protection. But here in your high school oh, yearbook, maybe... it says that you wanted to be a town guard. <laughs> So, so, so maybe the hook you could do there, if we ever, ever, ever wanted to do another guards game, you could bring this guy back who has turned himself in, told the whole story, and it's the guards' duty to protect him from the crime syndicates who will now be coming after him as he, as he turns in, you know, his, his, his 40-year crime syndicate families. I think I'm going to let it lie. Maybe this will become a book that I write one day. There you go. All right, so the other high point I wanted to talk about is the TPK. So you showed up in a bar, you fought a little bit, you, you installed this NPC to undercover, and then, long story short, you wound up, after a fairly lengthy session, you know, four or five hours, it was a pretty long session, you decided to do a full frontal assault on the River Rats. You went down to the warehouse where they were based out of. I warned you that there were a ton of them. I warned you that they were fairly well organized. Um, I warned you, but you went anyway, and you all died. Honestly, was it a kamikaze? Did you want to die as sort of an FU to this campaign concept? Did you want this to just be over? Were you testing my boundaries as a, as a GM to see if I'd kill you? What was going on with doing the frontal assault despite the warning? I think it was probably that we were maybe getting a little frustrated in that, you know, this was supposed to be more of a cerebral game, and we do not do well with cerebral games. We probably were feeling like we hadn't made any real progress in the uh, in the storyline or the campaign in that time that we had played, and that was probably us expressing our, oh, well, let's just go do this. I, you know, the way I remember it, it I, I don't want to say hubris, but... I think that our characters, again, we're sort of like the brute squad. We go and we break things. Uh, I mean, it just makes sense that that's exactly what we would do. I, I don't think we apply a lot of strategy to any of our actions. At least that's not how my character did things. So, uh, I mean, I, I, my character is probably low on uh, tactics, you know, high on guts. That's like a good that. point, too. Yeah. I, I wonder if some of it was is that maybe we were more used to playing heroes and that maybe in this capacity with these characters, we we weren't as prepared to play a character to specific skills and strengths. And we all just built, like, high DPS fighters. And that kind of was a, an undertaking, too. I guess to your point, I, I you guys were in a mode of playing kind of grimdark badasses. And then I turned you into worker bees in a larger organization. And I think that rubbed you guys the wrong way. I think. You tell me. I think that's probably an accurate accurate way to look at it. So, should I have pulled the punch and not killed you? No, I think no. it's fine. It was great. Our All decisions right, well, need consequences. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and we, we got there with this one. I was like, well, you guys are dead. Um, and I, and I, I don't think any of us went in. None of us expected this to be a long-term mm -hmm. thing. No, I was taking, like I said, three to five sessions at most. As it so happens, we did one. So we did a couple hypotheticals about if we were to do this today, if we were to do this today. Is there any interest in revisiting the guards concept or let's leave this one where it died? 
I personally don't have any interest. I mean, there's a lot of stuff left to to, to dip our toes into. Yeah, there are many tropes left to explore. All right, so we'll leave the guards campaign aside. Um, much to my chagrin, um, uh, maybe I will revisit this. Maybe I've been I've been talking about how I've, for years I want to write a book, and there is a book I'm actually working on in my spare time. Not really. Um, maybe this will be a book that I write one day. Is how would how would a, a guards in a fantasy universe approach solving the crime rate? So thinking about it, thinking about this total party kill, you realize that D&D 5th edition is actually the most lethal game we ever played? Which seems crazy to me, but you're presenting us with the evidence that indeed it is. Uh, I mean, yeah. so how many games did we play? If we played more D&D 5e than anything, wouldn't it most likely be the most deadly game that we played? We didn't play enough 5e. So even going by ratio, so all right, let's talk about count. So 4e... Over the years, we probably played, mm, we played rarely, probably six times a year, maybe, for, yeah, for, for, for two and a half years. Yeah. So call that 15, 20 yeah. sessions in fourth edition. I wiped you once. 5e, we started playing every two weeks, but we were doing these one-shots. And we did a lot of 5e one-shots. We did the, uh, the Geomorphic Dungeon, was well, it's a two-shot. Uh, we did the Tomb of Horrors, and that was like four sessions. We did L5R in 5th edition. We did a bunch of 5th edition one-shots. So maybe call that an equal number of games, but probably it was more like 10 sessions. I wiped you guys twice. Ten, you guys... ten sessions or 10 campaigns? 10 sessions. Maybe we'll call it 15 sessions. So like, so when you say sessions, are you saying like literally we played like seven games that had two sessions each or... yeah something yeah something like that okay I, I i felt like it was more than that but okay so still in fifth edition i wiped you actually it's more than this so in fifth edition i wiped you twice in the geomorphic dungeon when you guys were wiped out and then the next game you had to do the prison escape also in this game you were wiped and i didn't even list it in our show notes in the L5R 5th edition game, remember those lion bushi that just waxed Chris? Chris, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Horrifically just waxed the floor with him. He wasn't thinking, though. Yeah, that, that was not that was not a party fault. I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, that was Chris <laughs> being, love you, Chris, that was Chris not making the best decision. Well, and I also screwed him, up. It's him being arrogant in his character, which was the character he chose to This create. is true. This so, is true. Yeah. Well, Chris also soloed a bad guy that, that, was tuned for an entire party of people your level to yeah. fight. Yeah, yeah. So it was some of it was my fault too. A lot of it was my fault. Um, it, even in Pathfinder, we played. We played for sure. I know Brian. Seventeen sessions of Pathfinder, and I only nearly wiped you twice. And really, frankly, Blackfang's Dungeon was the only near wipe because three of you were down and one of you had just a few hit points left. In Mummy's the Word, one of you was down and several of you had hit points left. So the closest wipe was in Blackfang's Dungeon. In the very first session, in Pathfinder, once you leveled up, you were good to go. In this Guards Guards game, you were fourth level, and I still wiped you. I think Five E is a more lethal game. So does um, CR work the same in Pathfinder and D and D? They both have CR. I wouldn't say they're calculated the same way. I think the big the big change is that in Fifth Edition, you don't get harder to hit. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I get In you. Pathfinder, you level up and you get harder to hit. In 5th edition with bounded accuracy, you get more hit points, 
but a goblin can still hit you. So that's probably the key difference. I like the fifth edition's more lethal. Yeah, I mean, I I do too. I mean, it you know if if you could if it's if it's easier to lose it, life is more sweet, right? Yeah. So conclusions to finish this this recording up. What lessons did we learn talking about this game? I'd say probably the biggest thing is you know if if you know your parties, if you know your gaming party is not a cerebral party, you know be careful of trying to set up cerebral adventures or at least be prepared for them to take that off the rails. Brian, thoughts? I mean, specifically, though, to what Mike said, not necessarily a separate lesson. Um, I mean, it, if you have an idea of what you want us to play, uh, tell us and, and have us play that. Don't necessarily go through the the effort with the expectation for one thing and then give us uh, the autonomy to completely derail everything that you're trying to do um i i I like the way the game worked out but as gm uh it sounds like probably would have preferred that we uh take more um uh advantage of all the work and time that you put into setting this up and maybe a different way to put it would be i do the setup and then i ask you guys okay out of game metagame the four of you players how do you want to approach this? That way I could have aligned the game better where you would not... I could have set the game up to be like Double Dragon where you're in against escalating, escalating, escalating bad guys, but you can't jump straight to the boss. I could have set up the campaign, the mini campaign that way if we'd been aligned. So maybe maybe the lesson is just align. Align on what you're about to play. Yeah, I mean, I like that. That makes it makes perfect sense when you say it. Like, but uh, you know, uh, but we, we didn't do it. We didn't have the discussion. And, and again, it's not just something that happens in D It happens in in meetings. It happens in life. It happens in get-togethers with friends. Uh, if you're not aligned, I mean, everybody's going different directions. You you don't get anything out of time you spend together, whether it's playing a game or you know trying to uh, solve a problem at work. Yeah, yeah. Project meeting number one. Align on what, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, so I think that's the main lesson. For me, uh, some other lessons are, you know, prep more than one set of bad guys and let the players choose. And that could be really easy to do. Look for those online resources. Yeah, and, and that could be another lesson. Look for online resources. I said to myself, you know, I want to capture these factions and different levels of bad guy in the faction. I wonder if something exists for that. And with a bit of Google Foo, I, I turned something up and was able to leverage someone else's work to do that prep and that was that made the session really easy for me to run and easy to to improv all right cool well thank you for listening oh actually before we completely close out one other set of lessons learned so mike and brian this is the first time we're using i don't want to say powerpoint because it's actually google slides but powerpoint's more ubiquitous we're using a slide deck like a powerpoint deck but we're doing it in google slides for our show notes has this been better do we want to keep doing this for this show i think it works great um other shows i could never do it but um for the way that this show flows it makes perfect sense i think it's a great format the only thing i would ask is you know is this easier for you than doing the standard show note email it's a little harder it's a little harder but not a lot harder i mean it's not like you don't do you know powerpoint decks and presentations at work i mean it's it's a slightly different thought process, but once you, you know, get it down, it's 
I mean, using PowerPoint or, or, or Word, I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference in level of effort required. So the reason I was asking that is, do you, Dusty, feel like you've gotten the benefit out of doing the extra work? I do. I really feel like our conversations were to each specific topic. The only place where I, I thought we went a little off the rails is I, I skipped some questions. Um, between the hook and the buildup, um, we had some overlapping topics. So, for example, on the buildup slide where I talked about the gangs and all that, the questions here about did you think about other options, would you do it the same way today, you had already naturally covered those yep. as part of the hook slide. Um, but I was able to just skip the rest of that slide and move on to the next topic pretty seamlessly. But in the future, I would watch for duplicative slides. But I really think our conversation was much more let's cover this topic. Now let's move on and cover this topic. And I think it would be a lot, I think it's a lot easier to, will be a lot easier to follow than when we do the show notes and we meander all over the page throughout the conversation. I think we're in agreement then that this is a good format. Sweet. Then I will do this going forward. All right. Thank you for listening to RPG Lessons Learned. Have a great week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.